Well, if you'd like to sit, Rosemary's going to read for us. The first reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on page 205 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, the Apostle Paul writes to remind the Church, including ourselves, of the grace of God through the salvific work of Jesus Christ in dying for our sin and of our new status received through faith. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, doing the will of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. The second reading is taken from John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on page 110 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus speaks of being the gate through which we receive abundant life. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep will follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech to speak with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. 
Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rosemary. Shall we pray? Oh, take my words, Holy Spirit, and speak through them. Take our ears and hear through them. Take our hearts and oh, set them on fire with love for you. And take our lives and transform them to serve you. Amen. I'm going to focus on the, on the Alive in Christ passage from Ephesians, but um, I'm not actually going to refer to it, but perhaps you could bear in mind that last verse that uh, Rosemary's just read to us, where Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life abundantly, life in abundance. I wonder if we're living life in abundance, abundantly. Do you know, the one inescapable fact of life for all of us, and we're all heading that way, is death. And it's often the subject least discussed and often painstakingly avoided, uh, even in the closest-knit families. I, I was quite amused, really, in some ways, looking back. I got a phone call at 10 o'clock at night uh, from the hospital to say there was somebody in hospital who was very, very ill and uh, they transferred him to another ward. I said, who is it? And uh, they told me. And I said, well, why are you phoning me? And they said, oh, well, he's got you down as next of kin. This is somebody I, I didn't know very well at all. And um, when I actually caught up with him, I said, you know, well, um, uh, you know, if anything had happened to you, what do you mean, he said. And I said, well, if anything had happened to you, go on, if you died. And he didn't want to talk about it. He just didn't want to talk about it. You know, people don't want to talk about death. And it's interesting, isn't it? In many, many respects, Jesus didn't want to talk about death. He wanted to talk about life. He wanted to talk about life. Whatever he touched was transformed it grew, it multiplied, it came alive in the fullest sense. And, you know, in that passage from the second chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which uh, Rosemary's just read to us, we're led through what I call that seeming paradox of moving as we move from life to death, but here the paradox of moving from death to life. And we have in those verses, by the way, it's on page 205 in the New Testament section, page 205, if you want to follow. We have in those verses of God's word, in many ways, the account of my life. It's the account of the life of everyone who was dead spiritually, which we all were, 
but who later accepted Jesus' invitation, repented, and chose to follow him in trusting faith. But you know, I wonder, and I'm talking about myself, and when I was preparing for today, I thought, wow, yes. Have we forgotten what we once were? Have we forgotten what we once were? And maybe have given up really thanking God for that amazing grace that has made us alive in Christ. What we were and what we are now. I wonder if we've, we've, we forget and we're not giving thanks. Page 205 in the New Testament. Page 205. Let's look closely at what St. Paul is reminding us of there. In verse 1, we find the corpse, as it were. He says, you were dead. You were dead. This is not a physical death. This is a spiritual death, which denied us the ability to understand and to appreciate spiritual matters. You know, the physically dead can't respond to physical stimuli. You stick a pin in a corpse, and it doesn't respond with an ouch. So it is with the spiritually dead. They can't respond to spiritual matters. A corpse doesn't hear the conversation um, and join in with the mourners. The corpse isn't interested in the food and the drink at the traditional wake. He no longer experiences pain or joy or any emotion. He's dead. Just so with the lost, unsaved individual. His spiritual faculties are not functioning and they don't function until God gives them life. You see, the unbeliever is not sick as some would, uh, would have it. He's dead. He doesn't need artificial respiration. He needs resurrection. Well, one, why are we, why were we dead? Quite simply, as God's word reminds us, because the wages of sin is death. You know, what we earn through our sinning is death. And we, and Paul again in his letter reminds us, we have all sinned, all of us, and we've all fallen short of God's glory. So we all experience spiritual death. And why do we sin? Well, very sadly, but realistically, because we are disobedient. What did God say to, to Adam? If you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. And since that day, man has lived in disobedience to God. Women as well. <laughs> and there are three forces that encourage us to be disobedient. They're there in verses two and three, not making it up. And we know this, but we need to be reminded of it. The world, the devil, and the flesh. I wonder if we forget again. And in any case, are we sort of fully aware that all of them, the world, the devil, and the flesh, are still actively striving to make us disobedient in our walk with Christ. The world, you know, the world's having a go at us the whole time. The ways of the world are always trying to get us to conform. We may not be aware of it, but it's good to stop and analyze to what extent our values and our attitudes 
are being influenced by the public at large, by what we read in the newspapers, by what we see on television, um, by the way our next door neighbors and all our colleagues at work live and behave, can have effect on us. And it, what, what other people might think of us, does that affect the way we act? Do we ever stop to think, hmm, better not do that because what will they think? Does pleasing others rate more highly than pleasing God? You see, the world very subtly seeks to influence us. And of course, added to that, it's Satan who's actively and subtly at work too. One of his cheap tools is lies. And it was his lie which originally plunged the human race into sin. And he seeks to convince us that God's word, oh, ignore that, God's word is old hat. And it's that we are the ones, we choose how to live on the basis of, well, if it feels good, well, do it. And of course, the third agent at work is the flesh, our sinful nature. Matter of interest, why does a dog behave like a dog? Any idea? Because he's a dog. Simple as that. It has the nature of a dog. Why does a sinner behave like a sinner? Because he is a sinner and has the nature of a sinner. And Paul reminds us there that all of us once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. Yes, we were trapped. Men and women were trapped. And experience has proved that we are disobedient to God. We're heavily influenced, even controlled often, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And left to our own devices, we don't change, and it seems that we can't change. And we need that urgent help as we are destined uh, as children of wrath to suffer God's anger. But, look, verse 4. What is verse 4? What's the first word, word in verse 4? But. That's that little word, isn't it, that introduces change. Everyone was truly condemned, and their plight was such that only a miracle could extricate them from a miserable destiny. But God, in his, who is rich in mercy, God who's in this miracle business, as it were, he who is in his infinite wisdom knew from the very beginning all about our predicament. He just broke in at this juncture. You see, his love and his pity were so great that in his grace, he gave us what we don't deserve. And he saved us in his mercy from what we do deserve. You see, in his love for sinners, in his love for you, in his love for me, he ensured our salvation by Christ's death at Calvary. And it's there in verse 5, isn't it? By grace, you have been saved. Have we forgotten? By grace, 
you've been saved. Hallelujah. It's not simply a gift which we receive at the end of our natural lives. It's a gift that operates here and now. It's a gift that helps to free us from sinning and liberates us from any enslavement to the hitherto seemingly entanglement in the coils of sin. In Christ, through Christ, with Christ, we're freed from that sort of bondage of sin. His once forever sacrifice producing in us results that are present, results that are continuous, results that are permanent. You know, when we open the door of our lives to Jesus as Savior, we can say, in verse 1, we were dead through the trespasses and sins in which we once lived. And in verse 5, now God has made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in the past. Now God has made us alive together with Christ. Did I hear you echoing those words? Personally? You may not remember anything from this morning, but will you remember that and never forget? Come on, let's, get, let's, let's make it a personal thing. Verse 1, come on together. We were dead through the trespasses and sins in which we once lived. And now in verse 5, God made us alive together with Christ. You see, this physical life-to-death process, what we're going through now, all of us, continues. But miraculously, God has reversed our spiritual condition and he's raised us from death to life and salvation is God's work entirely our part in receiving it is described simply by those two words through faith in verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith No, faith isn't a contribution. Faith is an empty hand. Faith is a turning to God with a deep sense of need, a sense of weakness and emptiness and a willingness and a desire to receive what he offers. Yes, just to receive Jesus himself. We can't earn our salvation. The many glowing eulogies that I hear at funeral services can at times convey the impression that heaven's gates are opening wide to receive whoever because of his good works. No way. No way. It's through faith that we are saved and not by works so that no one can boast. And when we do, in fact, accept Jesus and follow him, we are changed, and we can never be the same again. Paul reminds us in his letter to the church in Corinth, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, 
and a new life has begun. And of course, with that new life, that's where verse 10 we read this morning comes into play. Because we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. See, James in his letter writes of a faith without works as dead. And the fruit of our new life is to be evidenced in the things that we say, the things that we do, in the people that we are. You know, we are in many respects the exhibits on display in God's showcase. And the effect of God's love and kindness and grace is to be demonstrated by the quality of our living. It's indeed through the things that we say and do and the way we live our lives that we do proclaim Christ in our love for the lost and for the growth of his kingdom. We often use that prayer, don't we? We will again this morning. We pray that we will proclaim Christ in the way we live, the things we say, the things we do. Alive in Christ. Alive with Christ. Abiding in me and me abiding in him. Oh, how well Paul knew this as he tells the Galatians, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Well, alive in Christ, we may well be, but let's never think that we've arrived in the fullest sense and that God has finished with us. There's still restoration and renovation work to be done. There's still those areas where we consciously, sometimes indeed subconsciously, we still sit on the throne of our lives and we do our own thing and want to have our own way. It was John Newton, wasn't it, who said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I hope to be. I'm not even what I wish to be. But praise God. I'm not what I was, and by his grace, I am what I am. Indeed, this morning, all of us, come along. We praise God, and we thank him for his amazing grace that saved us. For that forgiveness through Jesus, which presents us faultless before him making us alive in Christ now and eternally. And may that passage from Paul's letter just bolster our faith and keep us constantly prepared to witness to who we are in and through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Oh, how we pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, work powerfully in and through us. Amen.